I'm Daniel Pierce, and you're listening to Grotto Pod. Today on the show, I'll be talking to San Francisco-based writer, documentary filmmaker, and event host Kevin Smokler. Smokler, who's a member of the Writer's Grotto, is the author of multiple books, including Practical Classics, 50 Reasons to Reread 50 Books You Haven't Touched Since High School, and Brat Pack America, a love letter to 80s teen movies. However, the topic of and occasion for today's discussion is his new documentary, Vinyl Nation, a deep dig into the record resurgence, which debuted digitally on what would have been Record Store Day 2020 this past April, in partnership with 200 of America's finest independent record stores. So Kevin, welcome back to Grottopod. Oh, Daniel, thanks for having me. It's great to be back and it's great to be uh, talking to you at a distance about something different, but uh, you know, it matters not. The, the sound waves cross, cross all time and space. So, Indeed, as we shall explore in a moment. So I, I first want to say just congratulations on this wonderful film, which provided such pleasure and distraction in these difficult times. I'm so glad you liked it, man. That's really cool. As a, a vinyl nerd myself, it resonated deeply. And so the film is very much a love letter to, and I think in moments, an affectionate critique of vinyl and vinyl culture. And so I'm wondering if you can just maybe talk about the origin story of this film and for listeners who haven't yet had the pleasure of, of watching it, kind of what your project with it was. Sure. So I have never been on time for a trend in my entire life. I, I'm generally, I'm generally minimum two, more like five years late. Uh, I've lived in San Francisco for 20 years, but for like the Bay Area punk heyday of like the early 1980s, I was fully 30 years too late. Like I, I discovered, I discovered the Dead Kennedys and and Operation Ivy and bands like that when I was like. 35, 36. Uh, so stuff you're supposed, stuff that was supposed to make you, you know, angry at your parents when you were 16. I, I, I came to 20 when I was 20 years out of the house and into adulthood. The only exception to that is vinyl. Um, I was at a dinner party in the Mission District of San Francisco in, a, I believe it was 2007. And um, after the meal, everybody kind of filed into the living room and the host put on a record. And I thought it was incredibly charming, but I, 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 and I really liked the record, uh, which I hadn't heard before. But I also thought, like, like okay, why would you do that? Um, I had, you know, 5,000 MP3s that I could carry around on a device the size of a pack of playing cards. And so, like, why would I do that? Um, and so I asked him, like, why, why, why do you do this? And, and he, he explained to me as best he could. I was unconvinced. But he offered, it just so happened that he had, um, that he was trying to get rid of his old turntable. And he said, listen, I will sell you this turntable for nothing. I will take you to, uh, to a, my favorite used audio shop in Berkeley and we'll go record shopping afterwards. And the whole thing will cost, you know, will cost you not much of anything. And I was, I think I was taken in by his, by his generosity. I mean, we were friends, but we had never really hung out together. And and so I did all of this, and thus began my life with records. Uh, unbeknownst to me, I had started doing that at ex pretty much exactly the moment when records began their steady upward climb in, in American life for the second time in the history of the medium. And, and thus they have stayed. You know, records have been coming back and increasing double digits every year in this country for, for almost 14 years now. 
Uh, and I was fascinated by that story because there didn't seem to be any one explanation as to why it was so. And so for years, I would read articles and I would think about, I would ask people why and I would get a different reason every time. And I was like, I, I need to do something, you know, big about this. I thought about writing a book, but I, I'm, I'm not a music critic and I didn't, I didn't have a whole lot of confidence in myself to, to talk about like, like what, is, what is magical about a, a, a music technology in print. Um, and I've always loved documentaries. And so I was an artist in residence in the winter, in February of 2018, at the Ragdale Foundation in Illinois. And I had just come off touring for my previous book, Brat Pack America, a love letter to 80s teen movies. So I was kind of wondering what I should do next. Uh, and I was leaving myself open to it. And while I was on book tour, I had re uh, gotten back in touch with someone I went to college with who was based in Albuquerque and had done a bunch of stuff with the Albuquerque filmmaking community there. Um, and he invited me out to, uh, because he had relationships with, with the art house theaters in town, he invited me out while I was on book tour and he said, hey, you know, you wrote a book about 80s teen movies. Let's screen some kind of wonderful at this theater. We'll do a Q&A afterwards and you'll sell some books. And we had so much fun doing it. And we enjoyed each other's company so much that we did it like five or six times over the course of a year or so. And it was clear to me that we, that Chris and I worked really well together. And so while I was in Illinois, I called him up and I said, have you ever thought about making a movie? And he goes, well, of course, I've made movies before. I had seen his movies before and I'd liked them and that's why I asked him. Um, I said, but you know, I mean like, I was thinking maybe we could make a movie together and since I only do nonfiction, it would have to be a documentary. How does that sound to you? And he said, about what? And I said, well, I've been wondering for the longest time now, is there, more than one explanation to why vinyl records are coming back. And what do they say about us that, that it's happening? That it's happening is not interesting anymore. Why it's happening, or why it's happening is not interesting anymore. What it means is interesting. Um, and so thus, we, we started talking about it, and, um, and we had several moments of reckoning where we had to say, are we actually gonna do this, or are we actually not? But the short story is that two years later, in February of 2020, we had a finished film. That's amazing. I feel like the best creative projects are those motivated by a deep question or, or deep curiosity. And I, I should say the, the film opens on, on Record Store Day, which is in many ways kind of the, the apotheosis of the vinyl resurgence, right? So, so what kind of explanations did you come to in the process of shooting and researching this film? Well, it was pretty clear to us when we started researching it that, uh, that there wasn't going to be much life in a movie that was completely focused on the question of why vinyl has come back. Um, because that question had been explored, asked, and answered six different ways. And, and, and by the time we got to it, you know, we started talking in the spring of 2018, vinyl's comeback wasn't new anymore. It had been going on for, it had been going on for 11 years at that point. Um, so... Given that we were that late to the party, we sort of said, okay, well, we have, to, we, have to, we have to ask the question that one asks after the first questions have been asked, which is not why, but what does it mean? Um, we did, of course, touch on the whys in the movie. Everybody we spoke to um, talked about why vinyl meant something for them and why records were their preferred way of listening to music. And we, we got every explanation from 
I love the artwork. I love that I have to pay attention. I love that I have to listen to the songs in a certain order and I can't fast forward and skip around. I love that um, my stereo or my turntable is at the center of my living space and therefore it's something I do with my family or my kids. That uh, shopping for and acquiring vinyl is an inherently public and social activity. I, those were the main explanations we got. And, but we kind of... When you watch the movie, you'll see, we, you've seen it before, but when the people listening watch the movie, they'll understand that we kind of dispense with those questions pretty early and, and then spend the rest of the time talking about the, the larger significance of what the comeback means and what it says about us as people. I was particularly struck by just the range of respondents and, and the range of rationales for affection or the range of how people engage with the medium. Uh, I think it was Ashley Ford talks about, you know, we have, there's, there's this kind of dominant stereotype of the vinyl fetishist as this sort of high fidelity kind of white guy, sort of elitist nerd kind of caricature and in many ways your film kind of seems if it does have one thesis the thesis is that that stereotype isn't accurate if if you think that there is a singular vinyl listener you're just flat wrong and i think you provide some like really compelling counterexamples i think it was uh claudia Sayens who is the founder of the Chulita Vinyl Club. Is that, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Sands, I believe, is how her last Sands, name is pronounced. Sands, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, and so I'm wondering if you can just, just talk about that, about the way that images of the, the vinyl lover played into your, your project here. Sure. I, I mean, first I'll, I'll, I'll explain that Chulita Vinyl Club is an amazing institution that was started in, in Austin, but, the, uh, but Claudia, the, uh, the founder, now lives here in the Bay Area. Um, it has seven chapters in... in Texas, California, and I believe Arizona, and um, and it is essentially a DJ collective of um, uh, where all of the members are women of color and where they DJ exclusively on vinyl, um, and that was the kind of stuff that was really interesting to us. Uh, it was pretty clear to us that a at the beginning we weren't the least bit interested in a movie about two white guys uh, or many white guys because that was us and and and. Uh, and we were we were we were demographically bored by who we were already before we even began the movie, and like it, we had sort of we had sort of given ourselves a challenge with the name of the movie, which was Vinyl Nation, and like uh, and we said, well, if if the movie is going to say something about America, it has to look like America, because that's what you're that's that's the premise you're putting forth if you call the movie Vinyl Nation, um, or else you're just you're just misusing the English language to, to make your, your project sound grand when it isn't. So it was, it was pretty clear to us from the very beginning that the people we talked to uh, were going to be uh, as diverse as we could possibly make them and therefore underline the idea that the record comeback was not because of any one type of person who suddenly found themselves in love with records. It was a larger collective symphonic rather than soloist effort. And we were, we were both, Chris and I, were very moved by that and remain very, very moved by that. And, and we really appreciate that, that it's something people seem to notice with this movie. We heard a lot, and we still hear a lot. You know, I heard you were making a movie about records. I just figured everybody would look like, you know, uh, you know my, uh, 
my uh, my cousin Bruno, who you know, who who thinks CDs are the work of the devil and lives in his mother's basement and like and you know never combs his hair like and it's like um, the, the Simpsons comic book guy but yeah, for records yeah, yeah. I and, think that's a joke from the movie <laughs> yeah and um, and though I, I'm not pretending those those vinyl fans don't exist I just think they've been given a disproportionate amount of attention as the kinds of people who like records and um, and we we thought like more than, uh, I don't even think we have one of them in our movie. We thought any of them would make for a really boring movie. So, um, so instead we have uh, men and women, young people, older people, parents and kids, uh, people of all colors, shapes, homelands, musical tastes. That's, that's what we wanted and that's what was interesting to us. And I'm curious if you can just say more about like what makes this a kind of quintessentially American story. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it is like, like we we had to define it as such because we we didn't have the budget or the resources to go anywhere else. So, um, so that that was that was that, there was a really practical reason for that. Um, but we were inspired by a number of projects that looked at um, that have been examinations of one aspect of record culture or another, and many of those speak to record fans and, 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 and highlight record culture from all over the world. Um, the great book, Dust and Grooves, um, speaks mostly to vinyl fans in North America, but you have vinyl fans from Japan and Israel and Germany and a bunch of other countries. Um, the, there, there's a, there was a documentary that's a bit older than ours called Last Record Shop Standing, which is about, which is about sort of the, the rise fall and then resurgence of record stores and it was exclusively about record stores in the UK and it was it was really fascinating to see like what to see sort of all of all of the stereotypes a, a not very bright american like myself has about the UK in that movie you know where where like the the east london record store is is owned by you know some some painfully hip 26 year old guy you know ironically named nigel or something like that and like and like the record store in you know the record store in a more working class you know in in leeds or something you know in a more working class town is kind of a scruffy guy with a three day beard and, um and that sort of thing um so I don't know if it's a quintessentially American story. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Americana, and I would like to believe that most of the things that I write or make are quintessentially American stories. Um, but we were enormously pleased when we rolled this movie out digitally for one weekend on what would have been Record Store Day in April that we had, we had people from, from a dozen other countries and continents interested in it. Uh, and it was it was really it was very touching to see to see someone write us and say, "Hey, my name's Janie. When is this movie coming to Austria?" or like uh, stuff like that. That was really really special. That's so cool. I think one of the the aspects of the film that makes me think of this story as as particularly American just has more to do with the personalities of the people you've enlisted and like the nature of their connection to this this medium i'm i'm wondering just to zoom out a little bit and and to kind of fit this film into your pantheon the kevin smokler pantheon you you are i think a, a fan of the archive a student of the archive how, how does vinyl nation fit into some of your other fascinations that you've explored in your writing yeah, I mean everything I everything I write or spend my time on is about culture to some degree. It's about things we 
read, write, make, uh, listen to, watch, attend. That's just why I why I get up in the morning. That's what that's that's how I I, I view the world. Um, they are also to some degree all based on on the organization of of a giant set of information. Um, I I'm I'm the sort of person that's easily overwhelmed by when faced with with too much information and too much choices. So I, I'm naturally drawn to to projects that involve categorizing and organizing things and creating some sort of, uh, I don't know, taxonomy where, where things can be easily broken down. Um, I also um, am generally optimistic. Uh, and so I don't take on a lot of projects that, um, I don't take on a lot of projects with ambiguous or sad endings. Um, and so when, people I've known for years and years and years uh, say see, saw the movie back in April and said the tone of it was so joyful and, and they expressed some kind of surprise I'm like I'm like that's my default mode you know that's 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 what I do uh, and I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of overtly sentimental or or outwardly emotional I would say and so like I moments that make you cry, moments that make you stand up and clap your hands, moments that make you shake your fists in anger, those are the things I'm interested in. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not particularly, I'm not, I'm, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm interested in, I guess I've never tried. I, I, I'm not very good at stuff that only operates on the frequency of your brain. I, I, I'm, I'm not what you'd call a cerebral person. That's interesting that you say that because I feel like the film, in addition to exploring like vinyl culture, does a really good job of just explaining the the technical processes of vinyl manufacturing and and like the audiology, if that's the right word, of it. And and I think that was one thing that that I found really interesting is how you could have these kind of two narrative threads around who listens to vinyl and why and and how and then how that vinyl sort of reaches them through these you know various plants and supply chains and all that yeah I mean I th th there was a selfish reason for us to include that in the movie namely we wanted to go to a record pressing plant and so like <laughs> or <laughs> multiple in, uh, yeah in, multiple as it, as, it, as it may be multiple in this case and 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 some of that was you know who was willing to talk to us and which which of those record plants were in an area we could get to easily while we were filming other stuff um, unfortunately because we didn't have a lot of money or resources to make this movie, if there was a great someone or something we wanted to film and they were not clustered together with two or three other things we wanted to film, it, it was neat, it was prohibitive. We couldn't really do it. Yeah, I mean, we were, we were plenty willing to tackle difficult subjects in this movie and we wanted to, uh, but all in the name of making them easy to understand by the, by the average person. Like, we, we wanted to know how records are made and we also thought that would make for really good film watching like and and that's and those sequences the sequences of records being you know being manufactured are among the most popular in this movie everybody everybody who says something nice about them says i never really thought or knew how records were made and and now here they are yeah i i i i guess when i when i said i'm not a cerebral person it's it's not that i don't think and it's not that i don't spend a lot of time thinking um uh, or are I not interested in things that are complex? It's just it's not it's not ultimately how things come out. 
you know, I, I, I saw a really interesting documentary the other day where someone said some, where one of the people they interviewed says, uh, you know, I'm interested in cultural modes of exchange. And I was like, well, I would be too if I had any idea what that meant. Like, I mean, like, <laughs> I, uh, it sounds great, but like, I, I would have to, uh, I, would, I would probably put it as like, I'm interested in, in red or something like that, something that you could, you know, lay your hands on. Yeah, I, I do think the footage of the plants r really makes you appreciate just the, the materiality of vinyl, just seeing all the, the, the edges of the records that get like scraped off and thrown into boxes, uh, you know, with other scraped off parts only to get like melted down and then reconstituted into more vinyl or uh, whatever. It's really, really cool to, to see. And, and really interesting to me that you have all of these these pressing plants cropping up in like the last decade really right i mean yeah. it seems like what's the one in in nashville is it united pressing is that mm -hmm. right it, it seemed like that the company went into like a little bit of a, a lull during the recession but then bounced back in a pretty big way yeah we, we have both the 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 classic uh United Record Pressing building that the company still owns in Nashville, uh, in the movie, um, and then the the new factory that they own in on the east side of Nashville that they had to uh, acquire and build because the demand from the comeback of records was so great. And the new, I, I, I don't remember the exact numbers. It was a few years ago that we filmed this, but the but the old, I, I believe the old pressing the old facility had eight to 12 pressing plants and the new one has like 45 like i mean it's the size of a it's the size of a, of a football field um yeah and, it looks and, huge and it and it, yeah and it's you know and it's humming all the time like um so that that that's the most obvious indication of of the comeback of records is that that, that the infrastructure needed to produce them is so much is, is so much bigger than it than it had been and 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 the industry has been playing catch up for the last decade um, to um, to just get the things made fast enough um, for everybody who wants them. Um, but I, I think you make a really good point when you talk about the sheer sort of physicality of them. Uh, we knew from the very beginning that that was something that we would keep coming back to over and over again, that vinyl, is, while it, it's just a, a circle of black plastic, is, is in fact like a physical representation of music. Um, and that is a lot of what, the, the, the tangibility of it is a lot of what speaks to people. And, and we wanted that to be omnipresent in the movie, which is why everybody we filmed, we filmed surrounded by the objects in the places where they were sitting or where they were, where we met them. You know, nobody is filmed against a blank wall. Nobody is filmed in a corner. Um, everybody is filmed in, in, in what can be easily perceived as, as, as actual tangible physical space. Um, because we thought that, that emphasized what, you know, what was, what was special about records in the first place. And, and I mean, you show a lot of those people actually like handling their own records and putting them on and stuff, which is, just a, a treat oh, it made me feel like a bit of a foyer you know yeah so it's, yeah it's I'm quite private act <laughs> it, it is hard to separate it is hard yeah I mean we talked to some people in their workplaces and and some people you know just like where they could meet us but for the most part like for the most part records and the 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 electronic devices that we listen to them on are are 
talismans of home, of the place where we live. And so, yeah, a, a lot of this movie was, was people not only inviting us into their private space, which was very, which was very generous of them, but also, you know, talking, music is a very personal thing. People were, were, were we remain to this day, we remain incredibly grateful to everybody in this movie who, who not only let us often into their homes, but were willing to be as vulnerable as they were about something that meant so much to them. Well, I want, before I let you go, I am curious to hear you talk a little bit about what the current COVID pandemic pretends for, for vinyl. I mean, this debuted digitally, this film debuted digitally on on what would have been record store day. As with bookstores, I think a lot of people are trying to keep local record stores afloat through mail order and things like that. But I'm, I'm just wondering what kinds of changes you've you've heard about and things that have have struck you of late. Yeah, so so the 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 record industry suffered a, a significant casualty before before uh, we all before pandemic times, which was the which was the Apollo mastering facility in Southern California was destroyed in a in a terrible fire, and and Apollo mastering was one of two uh, uh, facilities in the country that made lacquers, the 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 first generation of. Of, of the series of devices that lead up to a, a metal stamper, which is used to, which, which, in which black plastic is poured and used to stamp out records. Um, and there was only two companies in the world that made them, and, and, and one, of them is, one of them was destroyed in a fire. And so that caused, that, that was predicted to cause a, a catastrophic bottleneck in, in, in record manufacturing. Um, uh, Billy Fields, who is in our movie and is a VP at, at the Warner Music Group, um, says from his point of view that has not happened. He has not seen any slowdown in the manufacturing of records. I, I have no idea if that's because he works for a giant music corporation or not, but could be. Um, but I, I also take that as a good sign that the that the the, the Apollo fire, while while catastrophic and tragic, was not as such for the industry as a whole. Um, because of COVID, um, most of the pressing plants in our movies were in our movie were closed down for at least two months. Some of them are uh, some of them have reopened or are reopening, all with all with appropriate safety precautions. Um, but in order, I, I mean, Chad Kaysen, who 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 owns Quality Record Pressing in Salina, Kansas, that that is in our movie, uh, and is a big supporter of the film and, and a friend. Um, has said that like he has had to run his plant 24 hours a day in order to have the right number of people in there for it to be safe and to fulfill all of the obligations he has to his his customers um, which is nuts but like but you know su such are the times we're living in um, from the point of view of the average person who just likes records um, there will not be one record store day this year there will instead be three what they're calling, Record store day drops on the at the end of August, end of September, end of October, all leading up to record store day Black Friday, which they think will still happen, obviously on the day after Thanksgiving. Um, we are hoping to have um, our movie available in some sort of digital form uh, in conjunction with those record store day drops. Um, we, we still need to talk to Record Store Day. They, they were enor enormously generous to us to partner with us um, 
for record, what would have been records for day 2020 to April. Um, we, we're not sure we can ask them to do that for us again. Um, but the truth is, if, if you're trying to, trying to get, a, get distribution for a small independent film these days, there is essentially no theatrical market. Um, that will change, but for right now, there are no movie theaters to put your movie in. Um, so in the course of having a very successful event in April, we were able to attract the attention of, um, of sales agents for our movie, and they are in the process of um, taking our movie around to streaming and television companies. So we'll see what, and we're, we're waiting to see what happens with that. Uh, otherwise, the bit of good news that has come out of this is that it is very possible to release a movie digitally um, movie theaters are selling digital tickets to movies because they have to. It is very possible to split revenues with movie theaters. Um, iTunes does not own that ecosystem anymore. So it is, it is possible to make something, as a filmmaker, to make something happen for yourself. Uh, and, it, and frankly, like what we took from our event in April is had we gone the film festival route, if it were available to us, uh, we would um, we would not have had the opportunity to have so many people in so many different places see the movie all at the same time, and that was really special, you know. We and 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 we hope to we hope to have more of those kind of experiences, which strangely are unique to this very unusual time. That's fantastic. It's a little silver lining. <laughs> yeah, I mean some, but um, yeah, you know uh, we. We kind of, uh, you know, every time we do something big for Final Nation, we wipe the sweat off our brow and we say, job well done, and we worked really hard for it. And you always think that at some point the universe is going to take the handoff from you and run with it. Um, and <laughs> in our case, it has not. Um, we, we've received amazing opportunities and made great friends, and, and we have a ton of goodwill out there. Um, uh, because we made a movie that's hard not to like, but um, but at the same time, uh, we are living at a time where most people with an independent film like ours need to make things happen for ourselves. We know this, and we accept that challenge. I guess the the best way for people to watch the movie is to get on your mailing list and they'll be alerted to future screenings. Is that right? Yeah, you can find everything you need at vinylnationfilm.com. You can see the trailer um, and you can uh, and you can get on our, our mailing list, which is only used to make announcements about the movie. Um, and we will let you know as soon as it's available. Um, there'll be a, you know, a standard ticket price like you would like you would pay to go see a movie in the theater, you'll be able to see it at home and on your devices probably, and we hope. And we predict, uh, I mean, I can't say for sure, but we, we predict that, you know, if it's June now, that will happen, that will happen before fall. Great. Kevin, are there, are there things that I, I should be asking you that I neglected to ask you? Oh, man. Um... I, I was actually I was just going to ask you how, how you listen to records while on lockdown. Shamefully, I have no way of listening to records at the moment. My turntable is in storage. I'm still oh my. buying new. I think since since quarantine started, I think I've bought m m maybe uh, seven records mm -hmm. 
online, you know, keeping Amoeba afloat, I guess. <laughs> and uh, and so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to listening to them. But, you know, I live in a very small uh, apartment with sure. uh, a wife who's a medical student. And isn't that amenable to deafening noise coming from five feet away from her while she's trying to study so oh, sure, i think sure. yeah that is a is a complicating factor but um, yeah but ho- hoping to at, at some point in the near future live in a slightly larger space with some degree of sonic privacy where i can set up my turntable and monitors and and start enjoying my vinyl collection again because it's it's been a little while yeah, you seem to have a good pair of headphones, so so that's a that's a start. Oh yeah, yeah, and I mean that that is that is an option. I could just plug directly into the receiver or something, but yeah, yeah. How about you? Oh, uh, I mean, my my wife and I usually listen to records um, right before dinner. Like she'll she'll she she cooks and I clean, and so she'll make. She'll make uh, dinner, and I will sit at the kitchen counter with my laptop and work, and we'll listen to records together while she's making dinner. And we'll usually let the records play through dinner, and then I will, um, and then when I'm cleaning up, I'll usually put on earphones and listen to something just myself. Um, and that usually that usually gives us, you know, that usually gives us, you know, like a couple records a day or something like that. Because usually we like to read after dinner, and we don't. Play, we typically don't play music when we're doing that. Yeah. And have, have there been any records uh, during quarantine that have been meaningful to you or, or resonant? That's a really good question. You know, I, um, I, I'm not sure like, I'm, I'm not sure like more than any time else, but given that I, I shamefully, I did not know June was Black Music Month. Uh, until very recently, until this year, actually. And so I've really been spending a lot of time um, this month with, um, with, uh, with, with black artists whose records I, I have and love. Is there anyone in particular? Um, a, we've, we've spent a bunch of time with, I, I mean, he's relatively new to releasing albums, but we spent a bunch of time with Kamase Washington's, um, big oh, jazz suites. Uh, we love those double, the double drums there. Oh it's yeah. A great, um, great amazing. sound. Yeah. Um, some of, I, I just started, I just sort of dug into, I, I just sort of dug into, um, to Mavis Staples early solo albums um, without the without the Staples singers and I just found out that like I don't know if it was Kenny Gamble or Philadelphia International Records one of them just just celebrated some big anniversary of some kind because there's all this PIL stuff all over the internet and oh, cool. um, and and uh, and so I I've been listening to a bunch of uh, I've been listening to a bunch of artists who are originally on that on that label too And that's our show for today. GrottoPod is produced by Rita Chang Epig, George Higgins, Beth Weingartner, Brad Baluchian, and myself, Daniel Pierce. The music is by Sugartown. GrottoPod is concocted in-house at the Writer's Grotto in San Francisco. Please review and subscribe to GrottoPod on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. 